Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. There's a lot more punks in the West four years earlier, but there was also as many posers. Posers were people that looked like punks, but they did it for fashion. Welcome to SLC Punks, a Utah jazz podcast brought to you by the staff of SLC Dunk. Now here's your hosts, Michael Lohman and James Hansen. All right, welcome back to the SLC Punks podcast. This is your host, Hanson James, or James Hansen. And this is Milo or Michael Lohman, however you prefer me. And uh, we're back after a little extended holiday. Yeah, those holidays, I don't know why they come, but they just do. And I enjoy them when they come. I know, those jazz holidays, uh, they're more often than bank holidays. Speaking of bank holidays, how was your Veterans Day? I had a nice day off because I work in the financial industry and I get the banking holidays off and it's great. It's, you know what I did? You know what I did today? Nothing. What did you do? Nothing. Wow. I wow. didn't do anything. That's crazy. That's <laughs> crazy, man. Wow, bro. Wow. And it was wow. great. Wow. Wow. It was really, That's... really good. You know, you know what else? Uh, I'm I'm like fired up about the jazz, Milo. I have been, uh, we've been trying our best to get in trouble with, I guess the, <laughs> well, I don't even know if we want to delve into it, how much trouble I want to get into, but. We... <laughs> the official referees. Okay. So maybe this is a good time for us to tell our story because I feel like we can. Can we talk about it now? Uh, Cause I, I kind of just say whatever I want sometimes online and then I'll delete it. Like, I think I tweeted at you last game. And then I deleted it because I was like, oh, uh, I don't want to have another awkward conference call where I get yelled at. Yeah. So I don't I don't think we can say like what the contents of the call was about, (laughs) Uh, but we can uh, we can talk about that. um, uh, What was it? I can't remember what game it was last year, but um, so it all stemmed. All right. Here's the story. So what was the game? game? Yeah. Tell the game story and then I'll pick up from there. Well, basically what happened is I got us in trouble, basically. It was me. I take full responsibility. Oh, yeah, um, because you were running the handle that night. Because I, 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 I was on vacation. I was on vacation. I was like, I can't go on vacation one week, James, without you getting us okay, yes, in trouble okay, with sorry. the president I'm, I'm of the NBA. Ahead. All right, so I... Uh, it was the game. So what happened here? I'll So everyone understands. So if you haven't seen lately... There's a commercial out right now of Rudy Gobert slapping a cup off a table. Well, that's because last season, Rudy Gobert got ejected in the first minute of a game uh, by a referee by slapping the water onto the onto the table. This is not what I got in trouble for. What happened is that for three games, referees started targeting Rudy Gobert. And I don't care what the... For, it was like two games in a row, three, that the officials started targeting him. If you remember... It was, I think, against Oklahoma City. Rudy Gobert got called for a foul on the tip-off. 
And I yes, lost that's my right, mind. That's right. Man, you're I getting so mad. You're, like, you're pounding your mic. I can hear it from the other side. Like, I can hear your mic going, bang, bang. Like, you <laughs> talking so right into my this. microphone. Here, let me pull my mic away. Uh, I lost my mind. <laughs> I uh, got us in trouble because then that night I wrote a scathing uh, thing about the NBA officials. I wrote that they are targeting Rudy Gobert. And you know, the thing that also got me mad is because I was like, people online were saying things like, oh, you, Rudy Gobert should know better. You, sh- you should know better than to like challenge the referees and the authority. And I was like, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. Because you know what? The referees should have more integrity than the players. That's their job to like have to be the standard and the and have integrity. And that's why players get called for technicals and get fines for it referees Mm -hmm. don't and so they should be the ones that should be keeping their cool instead they went into a game against the jazz and targeted rudy they just flat out did and i don't care what anyone says that's what they did they never call a foul on a tip off they'll just re-tip it instead they called a foul on rudy that was that was yeah okay yeah that was absolute absolute garbage and so that that night i just garbage the whole recap that night was a just a scathing thing about the refs and how they were targeting and how did you have the downbeat the next day too i feel like you had the downbeat where you were still tirating about it i think i wrote about the downbeat because i was like this is this is (laughs) this is not great and it feels like people are saying this is okay and this is not okay and I was just, I lost my mind. I wrote like multiple things and they saw it. And then we had to have a phone call and I got yelled at and, <laughs> but oh, well, it was worth it. And guess what? We found out some things on that call that I'm not allowed to share, but they were interesting. Uh, I still don't think one thing I will say that I think it's okay to share that they didn't say is that it's okay to criticize referees. They told us that on the call, like it's, that's not against the rules. It's like insinuating that they're crooked or something, which I guess I should stop doing. But, um, I think, yeah. And so, um, so the next day, um, in the afternoon, uh, (laughs) I get an email from, uh, the, um, official referees organization. Was this last night Um, or the last or last, last year, time. I haven't got I, I I haven't got a response yet. So, um, but I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So, um, so we so I get an email and it had had Seth, our good buddy, um, who's uh, who's the editor of all SB Nation NBA uh, sites. Uh, he he was also CC'd on there, and you're like, we'd like to meet. What time is best for you in the next 24 hours? And I was like, ah. Okay, fine. And so, I mean, we learned, we learned a lot. Um, I, I still, uh, like, I disagree with some points. I, I can't really say what those points are. But albeit, like, I, I, I can empathize that referees are in a really, it's a tough spot. Um, and I feel like I come from a point of more empathy than a lot of people because my dad uh, is a referee. I grew up, my entire young life was traveling with him all throughout Eastern Idaho and uh, Western Idaho. Um, Him refereeing games from most podunk of places to the biggest 5A games in in Idaho. So I'm very empathetic for, for referees calls. I know that it is really, really, really difficult to make a lot of these calls because the game is not like football where you stop and start, stop and start. Um, that it's very, um, 
uh, I don't want to say that basketball is not organized, but it's just very structured in a, it, it, like, like a chess piece. And uh, versus this, there's so many moving pieces. You are inevitably going to um, miss miss a miss a play. My my dad has always told me, uh, it, you you're inevitably going to miss uh, some calls. You just hope that it isn't a big enough to matter, or 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 b that is significant enough for people to lose trust in you for the rest of the game or the season. Um, and, and that happens for a number of reasons. There's angles, there's height discrepancy between referees and players. Uh, you might not have noticed, but a lot of NBA players are big. And, um, and they're insanely fast and agile. And they're, they're, there's a reason they're paid the money they're paid because they can do things in this silly sport of ours that are absolutely insane and fun to watch. That being said, that makes it difficult for a, a referee. And so there's certain times that referees start to get used to a certain rhythm that a player gets into. And so they'll identify things as a travel that um, shouldn't be a travel or vice versa, just because of what you know they're accustomed to, certain routines. I get all that. Um, but sometimes I feel like there is a tendency, just like we all do, to protect our own when um, we're accused or anything else. And so the other night, fast forward to um, on Friday um, to the, uh, the, the heroics uh, of Boyan to be able to defeat the, uh, the Bucks in the last two minutes, there were, uh, the whole game was just terribly called, terribly officiated. And in the last two minutes, the Jazz had two calls that almost cost them the game. And, uh, luckily, they had some heroics and a travel called in in the final seconds um, due to really great defense that they were able to get the ball back even with enough time to win it in in uh, regulation. Uh, but during that game, when I, I, me and James both on Twitter were going nuts, being like, "This is ridiculous! This is poorly officiated." I get followed by official referee NBA. And and I remember like tweeting out and be like, like this is ridiculous. If you're listening to me, refs, like you better, you know, like like I'm sorry. This is this is terrible. And about like five seconds after that, it was like, bing, you have a new follower. And I was like, ah, <laughs> well, <laughs> that's what, and then I tweeted it. You know, I deleted it. And I was like, sorry, I'm uh, too busy for any conference calls this week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. So, so that that's the uh, the backstory of the referees. Um, but to kind of recap the last two weeks, uh, I think those people who are worried about Mike Conley, um, we've had two articles in the last two weeks on Mike Conley. One that was last week by that was uh, Tavin Parker that was saying um, you shouldn't be worried about Mike Conley. And then I had another that I compared uh, the first uh, nine games to of Mike Conley to. Ricky Rubio and trends and looking if uh, Mike Conley is continually improving every game is the trend there. And, and uh, overwhelmingly, yes, it, it really is. What's, what's also funny is that um, in analyzing the data, you realize what an insanely hot start Ricky Rubio got to his first nine games. And then he absolutely cratered for the next 15 to 20, just fell off the face of the earth. Um, it, and that goes to show you that, uh, the first nine games are not indicative of the type of player you are throughout the season. Um, and I think James put it best 
Um, wh- what was it you were saying? What does it mean? What? Uh, what does it mean to be worried about my? Oh economy? yeah, I mean that's what I was just like asking. I mean that's the thing I've been uh, in general. I just what well, what does that mean? Like, I I mean it's more just like a <laughs> ethereal question, I guess. Like, do people just sit in their rooms and worry about it? Because <laughs> at this point, we're locked into Mike Conley. You better just hope he gets better. But uh, yeah, no, I just I just I don't know. I don't know un- understand why you'd be worried about him. And like you said, the numbers. Uh, show that he'll be fine honestly too i was kind of looking at it uh you look at his he had that one game where he was like one for 16 if you take out that game it looks like just a regular stretch pretty much i mean honestly i don't know and that's the thing is like sometimes i think we take the first week or three weeks of the season and just if this was happening like game 51 through game 58 i don't know if we'd be talking about it quite as much you know but it is what it is i guess yeah, I think um, I, I I think Mike Conley is definitely going in the direction that we'd like him to go. Uh, he had a, a great quote that was talking about going into. I didn't realize you needed a PhD um, to play for the Utah Jazz, <laughs> and um, and I think that goes to say that Quinn doesn't just want it's very easy to take a player for what they are and to say, this is what they, this is who they are as a player. Now, this is who they're always going to be. But um, I think uh, a big, a big thing with, um, with Quinn is he is, he is definitely looking for guys who are willing to improve no matter what point in their careers they are in. And I think that's really awesome um, with with uh, with Quinn is you can look at like Joe Ingles. Most people would say when Joe Ingles got to Utah Jazz, he is what he is as a player. And he's continuing he's continuing to improve. And I think that the cool thing about Quinn Snyder is he he's not worried about he, he's not focused on the routines that you've perfected in your career. He's more focused on what are your base talents and abilities, and then how can I help those to improve regardless of what age you're at. And I think that's what Conley is getting used to is he's like, I know I've always been good at this routine, but Snyder's wanting to break those out so he can become even better as a player. This at 32, which is really fun. So I, I think uh, um, what we're seeing is kind of just basically uh, Snyder breaking down uh, a lot of the uh, cobwebs or other things that Mike Conley hasn't probably used in his game for a while and is, is building uh, those back up and it's going to be fun to see throughout the season. Yeah. He, I honestly don't think there's anything to worry about. And the more I see him, the more I'm happy with what we got. I mean, even next year, we're going to be absolutely fine with Conley because I think what he's kind of doing is he's probably evolving into the final stage of his career, which is probably going to be more of a facilitator type. Like he doesn't need to be the guy like he was in, like he was in Memphis. Now Conley has Donovan Mitchell next to him. He has Boyan Bogdanovich. He has Rudy right. Gobert that can take lobs. He can be just more of a facilitator that plays solid on the defensive end and set up guys to score. He doesn't have to worry about it. And then when he has the open shot, he's good to go. I think he's kind of thought of himself as maybe like the second option behind Mitchell and really he might be the fourth or fifth and that's fine because that means that Donovan Mitchell, who's having a great year can go and Boyan Bogdanovich, mm-hmm. who's looking like the 
one of the best offseason signings of any team in the league. So it's uh, he doesn't need to worry about it and he can just be a facilitator. He doesn't have to be number one option Mike Conley anymore. And that's abs- with this team. That's totally fine. Yeah, that's that's what's so cool about it. it and, and you pointed out uh, Boyan Bogdanovich. What has been what has been most surprising to you about Boyan Bogdanovich? And and he was almost uh, the Western Conference Player of the Week last week. Um, what is uh, what has been so uh, impressive about him for um, you? You know, I think I think what's nice is that he's one of those cases where it's kind of like you hoped for a best case scenario to happen. And that's what we're seeing. Cause I mean, we all, I mean, if you're like me, you probably went and watched a ton of Boyan Bogdanovich, like, you know, playing this game and stuff. And I've watched him here and there, not a ton, but enough to know, like, yeah, this guy's better than I think people really give him credit for. Uh, when he goes mm-hmm. to Utah, he's going to be what third or fourth option. So there's a chance that maybe he just has an incredible year. And I think that's what we're seeing is that he has come into Utah because Donovan Mitchell and and Mike Conley have taken so much attention from opposing defenses, it's leaving him open. I mean, there's a reason he's having these big games every game is because he's like the third option. And when Boyan Bogdanovich is your third option on offense, you're you're going to see him have nice nights. And he just does. He gets open shots from three. He is getting probably the third or fourth best defender. And so he's beating those guys off the dribble. He's uh, and I think the, if you wanted a, a surprise in terms of just his game, I think really his passing has proven to be way better than we thought. He's playing really well in the pick and roll. He's, he's just been fantastic in every way. And he's also been a better defender than I think people give credit for. And, and honestly, I didn't understand that when he came to the jazz because he, he's not like a bad defender. I'd say he's an average to slightly above average defender. He's not a great defender. But no, I'd say but he's he's a, he's a, he's a good defender, and I think we I, I was saying that before the season. I, I was like, the thing that I don't like when people when we're evaluating defense, it seems to be somebody's either super elite or they're trash, and for the most part, a good sixty percent of the NBA is in that average to slightly good mm-hmm. category. And uh, one thing that's really impressive about Boyan this year is his defense has been actually not just good, but it's been above average. Mm-hmm. And when you, and oh, go ahead. That's a big. That's a big deal. And and probably that's because he's not reliant to have it, it. Like when you have Rudy Gobert, and this is part of the Gobert effect. Gobert makes a lot of people look really damn good on the defensive end. And so when Rudy Gobert is out there, Boyan has backup. He, he could be more aggressive on the defensive end and not worry about uh, it all going South on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the luxury of Rudy Gobert. He's behind everyone. Uh, I think actually in some ways this might've been a little bit predictable because um. He's just, he's a solid defender. And when we had Derek Favors guarding perimeter players, he struggled sometimes. He just flat out did because your guard, like when you have Rudy Gobert out on the perimeter, or not mm-hmm. Rudy Gobert, uh, Derek Favors out on the perimeter chasing guys like 
you know, Gallinari and players like that, it's not as easy for him as when he gets to kind of be that off ball shot blocker. And Boyan Bogdanovich is not the rim protector, obviously, that Derek Favor is favors is and probably overall favors is a much better defender. But in terms of just guarding right. perimeter guys, Boyan's fine. He's quick. He's six mm-hmm. foot eight. He's quick enough to guard opposing threes and fours. And it's I don't know if it should be surprising that the defense is probably better than the, the this year than it was last year. And that's probably as as amazing as anything is the defense has been just so elite. And so I, I don't know. It's been it's been a very fun year with a couple disappointing losses there. It the Jazz arguably could be undefeated right now. Like and that's the exciting thing about this team is they can beat anybody. They can they play Number one level defense, I think, according to Cleaning the Glass, I saw Ben Dowsett tweet this today. Uh, by the way, we're f- we're recording this before the Warriors game, so if travesty happens, you know it's it's your guys' yeah. fault, the listeners. Yeah, it's all your fault. It's all your fault for not listening to us in time. Exactly, if you would have listened to us in time, uh, the the Warriors would have lost. Or but, if, um, if, they, if they if they beat the I Warriors, mean, then it's our it's because of us. It's it, because it, of us. Yes, yes. They yeah. lose, it's but because if they, of you. Yeah, it's because of you. Um, we don't want to point fingers here, um, but but also my fingers pointing right at you, right at right at all of you. Like if you look in the mirror right now, you won't see your finger; you'll see mine. Exactly. So, um, I I think one of the things with the early season storylines that we did overblow was the offensive rebounding, and um, and that was. Once they had time to actually practice, and all of a sudden, it was it was taken care of. And so, at one of the very first early season storylines, was just like, "This is why you can't get rid of Derek Favors, and this is why you know if we had Derek Favors, this wouldn't be happening." Um, but you also probably wouldn't have been in those games if you had Derek Favors, because Derek Favors wasn't going to be putting up uh, twenty plus points from the perimeter and spreading and stretching the floor. Before. Yeah, like it, it was kind of one of those things. Is just you were in that position because you didn't have Derek Favors. You also were might have it, it. It's just one of those. Don't oversimplify something that was a bit more complicated. And once we saw that they had more practice, Royce O'Neal's rebounding went up, Mike Conley's rebounding went up, uh, and and Mike Conley's rebounding numbers were lower than his career. Normally he's averaging about three, um, three and a half per game, and and he's back to those numbers. Uh, Boyan's per 36 is above five. Royce O'Neal's per 36 is above five. Um, Joe Ingles per 36 is above five, all have played the four spot and have done exceptionally well there. And what's fun is each one brings a very different style to that position. And so that's, a, that's really fun to see, uh, the, the way they're, they're using the four spot and continually running teams in a blender as they continually have to adjust, um, how they guard that on the perimeter and uh, when a play is going on. And I love being able to see that. Uh, I think one thing that I am a bit worried about just beginning in the season is it feels like Joe Ingles is just not going right now. And I'm not sure if that's the off season um, of doing FIBA. Uh, I think that could be partly it. I think a, a good portion of it, we talked about Mike Conley's adjustment to 
um, a new team. But I also think there's a new adjustment for Joe Ingles in moving to the bench. Would you agree on that? Uh, I don't know if I agree. I do you, oh, What do you think it is? What do you think's well, going on with, with Joe? His numbers are down, I guess, obviously. But I don't feel like he's played poorly because he's been – his impact on the floor has been pretty great. I, I guess – I'm like, I'm actually surprised. I'm just on his basketball reference page. He's shooting 36% from the field and 31% from three. And it feels like, yeah, that that's, it's, yeah, it just feels like uh, for, for me, uh, I, I'm not sure. Well, Sometimes I feel like it last, like last year, Joe Ingles, the more minutes he, and this is kind of hard. The more minutes Joe Ingles played the, I felt like the better the game he had. He's a very, I feel like he's a very much a rhythm player. Um, versus um, versus like a spark plug, but at the same time, maybe what we're I'm expecting out of Joe should be different, and what we get from out of Joe, the sixth man, is going to be way different than what we get mm-hmm. from Joe Ingles. Yeah, the, see, I'm, I'm looking at his numbers, and it's like I, he's got good win shares this year. He's positive in all the advanced stuff. He's his offensive box plus minus is low, but that's because he's shooting 36% from. I think what I'm we're seeing is more of a point guard Joe and not like a playing off the ball Joe. And I think that's he's just playing that six man role. He's playing the the Manu Ginobili position for Utah. And uh I don't know. If if anything, I'd be excited because we know that he's more than a 31% three three point shooter. And so that should go up. I mean, unless he's starting to see a downtick, but yeah, I guess when I watch Joe, it feels like he's playing well. And so I guess my eye test is not, my eye test is broken for this one. I don't know. So I don't know. It's, I think it's like seven games. And, and, and to, and to your credit, um, he's, he's at an all time low in usage last year. He had a career high in usage. Um, he was being, his usage rate was at 19.5% this year. It's at uh, 14.8%, mm-hmm. the lowest since his second season with Utah. and um, But his assist percentage um, is in the 94th percentile. His assist uh, to usage rate is in the 97th percentile. So um, he, is, uh, he is doing pretty fantastic. But uh, his – so last year, the last – Four years before the season, he was in the 87th percentile or above in points scored per 100 attempts. Uh, but at the same time, he uh, – but this year, he's in the 16th percentile. He's only averaging 100 points per um, per 100 shot attempts. So that to me tells me that he is struggling from three. Mm-hmm. He's like his, his three point shot yeah, isn't falling I, right now. <laughs> she agrees. Oh, uh, listen to I'm my dog go nuts. Game log here. And I wonder if, I don't know it. What it tells me, honestly, when I hear that is that Joe is focused on facilitating and that he is trying to get shot for other people. And that when he's the number one option with mm-hmm. the second unit, he might not be taking the easiest of shots. You know, it might be a little bit of that case that Donovan had where he's, you know, someone's got to take a shot, might as well be Joe, or someone's got to take a shot, might as well be uh, um, Donovan. Uh, last game, he was 0 for 5 against Milwaukee, but he was a plus 10 in that game. So I don't know. It's a lot of weird stuff. Uh, Joe might be a little, t- I don't know. I think it's something worth watching, you know? 
just to see because we're the first nine games we're what 10 percent of the season is done now so definitely worth watching but i think we're seeing kind of joe figure out this six-man role and how the joe ingles version of that goes and it's kind of he's such a unique player that you know this is obviously going very i don't know it's worth watching i don't know if i'm that worried i agree Yeah, yeah, I, I, right. And it might be just adjusting where he's he might. Yeah, Joe Ingles has already had the propensity not to shoot, <laughs> and he's basically in a role where they're like, pass the ball first, facilitate, and so it's it's almost like you're telling like mm-hmm. the, the the shoulder angel for him to be like, you're right, don't shoot, <laughs> and um, so that could be it. the The good news is. Still, he has a positive on-off uh, the court difference. Like mm-hmm. the Jazz are three point six points better when he's on the court, and um, and so he's still producing, um, and he's just filling a different niche. So, I think you're right. I, I I think you're right on that one. So I will concede. I will definitely concede. Uh, so we're gonna take a quick commercial break. And then when we return, we have some questions that um, you all have asked us either on Instagram or Facebook, Mm -hmm. and we'll just answer them with brutal honesty. Sort of. Kind of. We'll be right back. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And we're back. So, James, I got some questions for you. Um... And, oh, some breaking news. Um, We will just say this and we will give nothing. We'll just give a moment of silence. And you can put in whatever commentary you feel me and James would have put in here. The Celtics announced Gordon Hayward almost six weeks after undergoing Uh, successful surgery today to repair a fourth metacarpal fracture. Wow. Um, that that is, is going to be, le- I believe, his joystick hand. Is that <laughs> left? Uh, um, is your that is... left hand is the one you're using for movement in League of Legends. Yeah. So that sucks. It really. So does that mean he's uh, going to he be play playing a lot like of a lot of uh, what is it like airplane simulator? Oh yeah, get hit up the sieve, hit up the sieve. Okay, so. With with that with that uh, being said, let's let's get to these let's get to these comments. Here's a, here's a good one. This is kind of interesting. Um, one, um, do you think there are any trades the Jazz need to make to upgrade? Uh, I mean, that depends on what the trade is the and if they, they can have do now? it. Like, I don't know. The only thing I can think of out there that might be worth thinking about is Andre Iguodala. But uh, I don't even know how they get Iguodala, you know? It's Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, it, what you give up right now 
I'm not sure is is worth it. Like right now on the trade market, I don't see plug and play guys as far as like role players are concerned. I see a lot of top tier like Kevin Love, Chris Paul. Um, oh gosh, who else? I mean, there is Andre Iguodala, but I, I feel like Memphis is ransoming him for for something that's uh, way too expensive. And um, I, I think the trade market, and this is the thing. Every year that I, uh, uh, having covered the NBA now, it's about ten years now. I feel like if you're if you're looking at the trade market this early in the season or even early in December, it means your team is not headed down the path that you thought it was. AKA, you can look at last year with the Utah Jazz and um, when they uh, pulled the trigger for Kyle Korver in December. They were not getting the spacing that they needed, and they had to do a course correction and also a kind of way to kind of shake up the locker room because they thought they could rely on uh, continuity, and it didn't work. It didn't work as well as they thought they did, so they shook it up a little bit, and they tried to shake it up with Mike Conley at the trade deadline. But Mike Conley was available because they were patient enough uh, to see what, what the trade market would bring. At this point last year, Mike Conley wasn't even available, and the Grizzlies were the surprise team of the year, and they were above 500. So it's it's hard to tell what what will even be available at the trade market, and I think if the Jazz are active at the trade deadline, it's just going to be because either a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity is available, or they have the trade assets, which they really not, don't like every the piece Mike on the Jazz, trade. this is one of the most balanced um, teams the Jazz have had in a long time. And, you know, someone like, like, I don't know who you're trading. I People will say Dante, mm-hmm. but Dante might do what for you, what Iguodala would. So like, it's, I don't know if it's worth giving up much for, you know, maybe by trade deadline, yeah. something happens that changes your mind. But I think the Jazz are, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if they did something, I guess. Cause I think Dennis Lindsay and them are always doing their due diligence to, to, you know, see if there's any way to get better and but i there's just not a lot i don't i haven't thought about trades this whole season honestly i this team we're nine games in we don't know enough yet to really worry about it which is a good sign like you said it's a good sign like we're not worried about it yet right right and and i think uh, is there a chance the Jazz make a trade at the trade deadline? Yeah, I think I think so if the right role player comes available. But I, I would say their starting lineup is incredibly solid. It's a, it's really fantastic. Uh, if they are looking for a trade, um, either somebody got hurt that they didn't anticipate, a high level player, yeah, um, or something has gone very wrong with the experiment, um, which I, it doesn't doesn't look like that's where things are boating for, um, but. Once again, like I said, the Grizzlies were above 500 at this point, and they looked and like even the they Grizzlies like were back in a different to spot the, than the, the Jazz are. Like the Grizzlies season, had so. Jaron Jackson and then Mike Conley, two very, I mean, two players that are just in very different parts of their career. And so, I mean, even the Grizzlies kind of were like probably a little bit like crap. <laughs> we're winning way too many games right now. Like we need. You know, and it worked out for them. They made the trade. They got John Morant and it worked out perfect. Like the Jazz right now are in win now mode. So if they're going to make a trade, it's because something comes available. Like maybe like 
the Grizzlies don't get any everything they want and they say, hey, well, the best second rounder we get and you get Iguodala, I could see the Jazz doing that and then dropping the 15th guy on the bench, like something like that. But yeah. They, they could be a waiver. I mean, looking at the waiver wire, honestly, I, their, their team, if they're playing well enough by in February, uh, near that trade deadline, they're going to be players who they are the castaways at, at the trade deadline afterwards on the waiver wire. And they may be like, man, I really, well, and I could even, I could even I see, want, I, want, I want to play with, well, and I could even see the Udala thing being something that he's and fine with. Like if he, Utah by be. trade deadline, doesn't have a team. And Utah comes and says, hey, we'll give you a second rounder and and this young player or, you know, something that the Grizzlies are like, well, we get something out of this. Iguodala would come in wanting to prove his value to earn another contract, probably. And so that could be a situation where it's like, oh, yeah, mutually beneficial. If the Jazz Mm -hmm. don't have to give up much and Iguodala gets to come in and be like a bench defensive lockdown player be a nice thing but we'll see that's the jazz are not making any trades until trade deadline if they do anything at all like <laughs> yeah and and that was and, and i forgot to say that was by caleb underscore words um who asked the question uh the next question uh that we have is uh going to be from let me get to it i just lost lost the page there because uh my phone uh, decided it was just going to take a nap. Ah, so um, uh, John Eldon says he's been a Jazz fan for 20 years and he is finally going to his first home game in January. Congratulations, uh, man. That's awesome. I would say Any that the tips? parking underneath the Gateway Mall is really nice. It's easy. If you park, Gateway oh, Mall. you guys want to know a secret? And Gateway Mall, and you don't have to, to pay. And you don't have to pay parking to get free parking after the game. I have a secret. I haven't paid for parking the last four games I've gone to. Uh, if you park, dang it, I don't want to tell you this. All right, uh, if you park at the gate. <laughs> All right, the secret to free parking here it is. Do it's it. at the Gateway Mall. But if you park on the what is it? The South Garage. The south, southernmost garage entrance, they do not charge as you come out from that end at that at that time. So if you go in that end, there's a good chance you might. I don't want to yes. promise it because maybe they'll hear this and change it. Uh, but that's the side near the homeless people. So go on that end and you can get free parking a lot of the time. I haven't paid for parking like four or five times. I can vouch they for just that. Leave it I, open, yeah, so. the last three times I've parked there and left after a game, I have not had to pay for parking. Yeah, they do. I, I, I like every single time. One time I paid my my ticket. So don't pay your ticket beforehand. It's tempting. You're thinking, oh, I'm not going to have to worry about it. I did it once, and I, and I was leaving, and and they were just let, they were letting everybody through. I'm like, <laughs> ah, damn it! You guys got my secret. I, I didn't want to tell that. That's was, actually painful I've been for me. So if you and so, if you're hearing this, do not share that. So that it does not get taken away. All right. You're now part of the club. Don't don't share that. Okay, so this is I'm this is gonna be a two-parter. 
because they're kind of uh, related. One is by Fielding uh, Wild, and he says, what would be the most exciting playoff matchup for the Jazz? And uh, the other is um, Isaac Taylor, 27, who says, with such a stacked Western Conference, is it actually possible for a deep playoff run? So let's see, who who would you oh. want to see? Not like who do you think the Jazz would be able to beat the Because that's what I was going to say. Well, then the I hope we get Denver because Rudy turns Jokic into his in little, playoffs. you know, I don't know. <laughs> I would love to watch the yeah, and into 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 thick ti. Uh, but that's T-I, the, I guess that's I, mean, T-H- I don't know if that's exciting. Oster uh, tag. I don't know. I we just got a first round exit last year because we got a bad matchup, and I would rather, you know, it's exciting to me winning. So if if we got like, you know, one of those fringe teams at the beginning, and then we could get another a second round against the 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 Denver Nuggets and then the final we get like to play the Lakers and ruin their dreams uh, as we go to the finals. That would be exciting to me. That's a, And that's a key to a deep playoff run. I, um, I think the most exciting matchup would be the Lakers, even though the Clippers, I think there would be more maybe for, uh, more NBA geeks there'd be more intrigue, but man, there's just something about the Utah Jazz possibly exercising their Los Angeles demons in the playoffs against the Lakers and just knocking them out. Sort of like when they swept uh, the Kobe and Shaquille O'Neal uh, Lakers the second time they went to the finals. I think that would, uh, I would, and plus, I feel like though there's just something exciting about in the playoffs as a crowd just being like beat LA, beat LA. Like there's just that I that just to me is exciting. As far as a deep playoff run, I I've I've written about this and I wrote this on Twitter. I think there is a a crazy chance um, because the West. If you look at the Western Conference. It, uh, Every team in the Western Conference is just nightmarishly good. And even even the Thunder, who you would say they're the dregs. Actually, no, Golden State, uh, I, they don't really put up a fight. Now that I could be eating my words tonight. But they, they look like a team that's obviously tanking and trying to make this their Tim Duncan year. But But as far as everybody else, everybody else is really trying and putting in the work every night to try to win. Um, and you can't say that about the Eastern conference for all, every single team. And f- because of that, I think there's a weird chance we might see like a San Antonio Spurs type situation from a few years back where they were the sixth seed that went to the NBA finals. And, uh, and that was the almost, I believe it was the same season in which the golden state warriors did not make the playoffs and they were a, uh, and they were an over fifty win team, and we could see that scenario in the Western Conference. The Western Conference is just so insanely good, and but there's no team right now that is one tier above all the rest, like there has been in prior years, like the Warriors have been. And I think the top six teams in the West are all in about the same tier, and that could mean that. Seeding is going to be super important this season, or it can mean seeding absolutely means jack squat 
because these are all veteran laden teams that um, are so closely grouped together that um, home court might not mean anything. And um, it, as it did uh, when the Spurs went all the, uh, all the way to the NBA final. So I, I, I think a deep playoff run is possible. I think what it could be uh, a mix of being good and lucky um, getting to the NBA finals for the top six teams could be just going to depend on what, what shakes out in matchups um, who's healthy at the time. And, um, and it, if the ball bounces for you the right way, I mean, just look at the Raptors last year with Kawhi. Uh, the reason the Raptors won the NBA finals was because Kawhi got the luckiest of bounces when, uh, he, luck plays his game winner against, uh, the 76ers. So it, Luck, luck always might be the final question, so, actually. Um, next question. Final yeah, question. Um, Make well, it count. I, I have. I if we're gonna do final question, then I, final question. Okay. Um. <laughs> um. I I will respect it because uh, this means Lamb the Man. Okay. 11 also follows me on Twitter and, and James, I'll let you take this question. Uh, Milo is always mad online because let's see. Uh, I think Milo is always mad online because sometimes, uh, (laughs) you, you just feel the reverberations of having a conference call with the head of NBA officiating and it, it, it's PTSD. <laughs> somebody, somebody, somebody's got to get it. Ta- somebody's going to have it taken out on them. So it's just it's what it is. Like you just don't, you just don't want to be that guy. It's kind of like when you see your manager come out with meeting with the board, and you're just like, I'm not going to be the first dude who has a conversation with him today. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. If I, any question I have is going to be a softball that makes them feel like they're the manager of the year. I am not going to like bring him and be like, hey, we got a serious issue. I'm not going to be that dude. Not going to be that dude. One last one. Definitely, definitely not. Okay. Oh, we have actually time for, for one more quick one. Okay. Um, <laughs> Jason uh, PA. Uh, actually, two. We're going to do, do this one and then another one because I think you'll like the, both of these. A, uh, long uh, Jason between on Facebook podcasts, asks, why um, so long between I podcasts would just like and to say that the reason is we didn't do it. Um, thoughts on Bradley. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's like nights we have, well, sometimes it's nights that <laughs> it's there's a game like the and I've, is, we, I will say it is easier to podcast. It just doesn't work it, out. And when the season's going on you, and you know, like there's a game tonight, game tomorrow, uh, yeah, it's tough. So you know that's the reason. It's not a great reason, but that's the reason. Yeah, yeah, and you'll say like the the nights that you have open, there will be games. Those nights, and the nights best, that you don't, guys, you're, do you know, that's when you're Thought free, on. and then but can't do it without each other. So <laughs> exactly. Uh, and also in terms of Bradley, it's, it's, uh, I just want to say that I tweeted out. Uh, you know what? I think Bradley will be fine. He's big. He rebounds and he rolls to the rim. I don't know if <laughs> I it's not that surprising that he's like a solid rim protector, guys. He's got pretty good hands. He he's one of those guys that knows how to play big. He's just got a big body. He's not athletic at all. 
but he knows how to use his size. And so it shouldn't be all that surprising. I, I don't know. Plus, you know what's you know what's crazy? Well, you know what's crazy too yeah. is some players tend to play a little it's bit better when they're on the floor with players like Joe Ingles and stuff like that. Like surprise, surprise! Like those guys make you better. And when you're not playing with like Nazmi True Long, but you're playing with uh, Joe Ingles, there's a difference there. No, no disrespect to Nazmi True Long, but Joe Ingles is really great, and he makes other guys better. And so that's that's probably part of it too. So. Yeah, I, and and I will say Brad, what has been yeah. most impressive about Bagley is he hasn't backed down from anything. He's said Bagley. He's played well Brad's... in his, his minutes. He's really young. Um, it, it, who did I say? What did I say? Yeah, Fox Bagley. is out. Oh, okay. Sorry, so I said Bagley because face. I just read a tweet that them, um, so Fox is out um, for, for four to six weeks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Uh, but they've won. They had won three out of their last four. They were on the track back to legitimacy, and now they're pretty much done for the season. Yeah, in the Western Conference, they're done. In the Eastern Conference, they'd be like, "This is still an eight seed." Um, so, the, I, I think they're doing great now. The final question, and this is right up your alley: When Exum is back, who gets um, minutes? I actually, Exum or Moutier, or is there an, uh, an option C? And this is from I've I got this question, I got this question from Bill Hedrick on Facebook. I also got this question from huh. uh, from I feel like two other people on on Instagram. I feel like this question, uh, yeah, from uh, Utah Jazz updates. How will the Jazz manage Moody and Exum's minutes? I when think they it return? might be between. I mean, um, maybe and, with Moody. Uh, it's not like the Jazz have missed Moody. Well, Did so. anyone notice that he's not played the what last two or three games? Uh, I haven't seen anyone calling out for Moutier to play. Uh, but I also think that he could take minutes from George Niang. You know, there's just a chance that he could get on the floor. He, you know, for all the jokes people make that are lame, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, he's a great defender and he can come and help the second unit and lock down someone like Lou Williams or something like that. And, and be just a great, great contributor to the team, uh, whose minutes he takes. Uh, I don't know. I think that there's room for him to be on this team and be a really good contributor. He could be even like a power forward with that second unit. Someone like uh, Dante, who is a good driver and and a good passer when he's driving to the hoop, could help out Joe Ingles get some open shots. If 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 Dante's driving to the rim and Ingles gets a few spot up jump shots because of it, that's awesome. But we'll see. I don't know. It could be Moutier. It could be George Niang, it could be, you know, who knows? I don't think any of those positions are 100% locked up. Yeah, I think um, with Exum coming back, we've already heard in preseason and uh, the way they were using him in practices, uh, he he said he was playing every everywhere for, from one to four on any uh, on any given play and and was inserted into the lineup um in practices any any position through one through four so unlike Moutier who I think is only going to be at the one or two Exum has the versatility to move around um quite a bit he's also two inches taller than Royce O'Neal who is our starting four right now uh so and he has the defensive prowess of Royce O'Neal 
the other thing that uh, with a lot of people being like, and I, I get this, I swear I get this question anytime I do question and answer on Facebook or Instagram or even on Twitter is uh, whenever, uh, whenever there's a player in that dumps, it always cracks oh, me yeah. up when people are like, when are we going to trade him? As if that's when every other team imaginable is just like, hey, that guy who's right now, I want him on my team. I want that guy. Now I want that guy right now. I want the guy who can't do anything on my team. Like that's not does, and and likewise, why would you trade somebody at at their lowest point? I think the other thing too is not to. It, this isn't. Uh, you don't want to be a sunk cost mindset with any or by any means. But uh, Dante Exum hasn't had a chance to 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 really get any momentum in his career. And there's another person who was very much like this, and that was Sean Livingston, who his entire first part of his career was just plagued by injuries. Luckily for Exum, he hasn't lost his athleticism by these injuries. It's not like the, with Sean Livingston, that was the same thing over and over again, and he, and he as a player had to change. Um, by all means, Dante Exum doesn't have to change as a player, which is really awesome. Uh, but the lesson to learn from Sean Livingston is he worked. He, he wasn't a bad player. He was just a, a good player with bad luck. And you, you would be dumb as a team, and you only have to look at Markel Fultz with, with what he's doing with Orlando as a, as a lesson to this is don't, don't trade a dude who's a good player who's had bad luck and then treat them as a bad player who also has bad luck. And um, it, it, at least find out if they're a good player when they have good luck. Because if you don't, then you you look like an idiot if you passed passed on them way before you're able to get that return. And with Dante Exum and the depth that Utah has and the talent they have, they're not relying on him for anything. So they can afford to be patient. They're really lucky in that regard. So there's no reason to just peace out from him because they're not losing anything if he's not producing. They've invested a lot and, uh, in him. They have and everything they see to gain that we don't. if their patience so pays would, off. And my take on it is just, why don't we just let him come back and watch him play and see how he does and just enjoy it for what it is? If he has a great comeback, that's awesome. If he doesn't, then this is the final year in his contract. So, you know, I personally think he's going to be great. I think he's going to be a really really solid defensive contributor like to me he's kind of like a little bit better he's like a rich man's uh what's the robinson robinson from uh the thunder what i forgot his first uh but just a high level defender he shoots it better than yeah andre roberson to me he's like a rich man's andre roberson who can guard shoots it a little better than he does and actually has a handle and can pass so you know that's what I think he can be still. And maybe he's better than that, but we'll find out. But either way it does, like you said, it does no good to just like trade him. What for like a second round pick, like you're not getting anything for him anyway. So you might as well just develop him because the best thing you can do is develop the assets mm-hmm. you have. That's the best way to manage your assets and to just trade them at the, I don't know. It makes no sense. Yeah. And, 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 yeah, when you're trading, you want to make sure you're getting equal or better in the trade. And if you develop Dante, even if he develops at what he is at his highest point that we've seen, not even past oh, that yeah, point, like just his highest point. You're trading point. him for like he's better than uh, what you're going what? to get for like trading a, him. 
uh, maybe a Jarrell Brantley so, in the second round who might or might not make the team. I think Jarrell Brantley's pretty good, but that's the best you're going to do. And it's better to just let him develop and see what he is. He might, He. I mean, we've seen what he can do. If he can be healthy, yeah. he can definitely contribute. Right. Agreed. Well, um, that is our final question. I told you it would be in your wheelhouse, James. So um, we are uh, going to uh, peace out of here. As always, follow us on on Instagram, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at SLC Dunk. Uh, you can uh, check us out on the web at slcdunk.com. Um, and most importantly, one of the questions that they said is, how can I listen to this podcast? Here's how you listen to this podcast. You can subscribe to us through iTunes, through Spotify, through, um, what else? Stitcher, anywhere you can find a podcast, you will find our podcast and that we're going to get going. Do you have anything else for us there, James? Just like and subscribe. Like and subscribe, man. Like and subscribe.